Natural Language Processing, Inspired by Neuroscience. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Francisco Weber, founder and CEO of Cortical IO. Welcome, Francisco. Thank you for having me. Uh, hello, everybody. So what is the mission of Cortical IO, and what made you, or what prompted you, if you will, to start the company? Yes, yeah, so our mission is in fact uh, to make uh, language computable uh, in the very sense uh, of the world. Uh, so uh, what we try to do is uh, to get uh, actually what is the human part uh, in using language, uh, namely in transferring uh, understanding, sharing understanding of the world and of things. Uh, and nowadays, uh, a lot of business is actually depending on uh, understanding what someone writes uh, or says uh, in terms of language. Uh, and uh, we are specializing uh, in doing this uh, very efficiently. When looking at the evolution of natural language processing, how did it start? How did, how did we approach this problem in the past? Yeah, so we used, uh, uh, as very often in, in, in science, uh, we start with uh, quite uh, naive approaches. Uh, we try to do a lot of acrobatics with uh, the literal words. Uh, so we, par we were parsing words, and uh, when we then progressed, we started uh, to count how often we see a certain word, and we tried uh, to find out uh, uh, how important uh, is it as a part of the message. Uh, and then we uh, figured out one day that uh, language has a, a certain number of statistical uh, properties and we started to do statistics and uh, by doing so, uh, things improved. Uh, on the other hand, what we could see is uh, that we were improving all the time, but we never came uh, any near to what my, uh, I, I don't know, eight-year-old son uh, is actually uh, uh, showing as, as language capabilities. Uh, and so I got uh, interested in finding more fundamental differences uh, when working with language. And uh, I mean, the only reference implementation for language we know is actually the human brain. Uh, and that was basically the reason why um, I tried to bring those two domains, the uh, brain with its ability to understand the world and to communicate and to exchange information uh, in a very smart way, um, to basically link this with uh, the computer science side of things that tries to uh, handle information in sort of structured, uh, controlled uh, environments. Um, and uh, very soon it became obvious that uh, the current approach, uh, which I would say is a brute force approach, uh, so we were basically um, sort of um, brought into the belief that if we just added more uh, and faster computation, uh, we could at some point come up with the capabilities of humans. Um, today's, it's a situation where we have uh, the best uh, human brains, uh, let's say Noam Chomsky or so, uh, talking about language, uh, uses about something like 15 watts. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even a light bulb. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the smartest uh, and, and most uh, refined systems use a couple of uh, tens of thousands of watts uh, and still uh, are not uh, wherever near uh, to my eight-year-old son. So uh, there has to be um, something that uh, enables the brain to do this. 
Uh, and I mean, you could say it's something spiritual or so, but if you try to say this in terms of science, uh, it has to be something that at some level needs to be able uh, to be implemented also as a, as a, as a computational model. Um, and interestingly, um, it's now about 10 years ago, um, I basically uh, discovered the work uh, of Jeff Hawkins. Uh, he's also known in the context of uh, Nomenta, uh, and before that, uh, one the founder of, of Palm Computing uh, in the good old times when uh, <laughs> sort of the uh, mobile uh, world was uh, still in the beginning. And uh, he sort of turned out to become a brain scientist uh, of his own uh, approach. Um, and he was doing a lot of interesting work in finding out what is the computational principle of uh, the, the human neocortex. That's the part of the brain that actually does the thinking. Um, and uh, he basically came up with a theory that explains how this works. Uh, and I just took that theory and tried to use it as a set of constraints to say, okay, within that sort of space that his theory offers, the uh, sort of way of doing it the right way has to be there. Yeah? I mean, if I, uh, I'm sure that uh, that's the only possible way uh, or space of finding a solution. Uh, and uh, it turned out that if I applied um, biological concepts, like for example, the fact that every information in the brain uh, has a very sparse binary representation, and I made this also to a constraint on the computer science side, um, and I then added uh, the uh, aspect, for example, um, that the brain learns about things as it processes it. So there is no separate training phase and uh, usage phase, but it's, it's one amalgamated sort of uh, uh, process. And again, I applied this uh, to become a constraint on the demand of the algorithm. Um, suddenly, I ended up in a configuration uh, like magic to me uh, because you know how it is. I mean, you figure up something new and then uh, you ask yourself, but haven't there been like 300 people coming up with this? I mean, it's so obvious once you, you sort of discovered it. Um, and uh, as a next step, uh, because at, up to that point, it was only a theoretical uh, sort of uh, thinking, way of thinking, more a philosophical uh, uh, answer to the question. Um, and we said, okay, let's try and build this. Um, and uh, luckily, we got uh, some public uh, applied research fund uh, in uh, 2011 uh, that allowed us precisely to try and sort of build this for the first time. And uh, although the project was supposed to run for a year, after a half a year, it was clear, okay, that works even better than we would have uh, anticipated. Um, and from that moment on, we kept discovering a lot of aspects and uh, a, a, a sort of a reoccurring pattern was actually um, that especially the hard problems in the old way of doing things uh, became sort of side products. You did not even need to do that expressively. It was part of the whole process. Yeah? Um, and so in the end, a very fundamental learning I had was we were all struggling about precision, you know? Everybody was, okay, how precise is this new algorithm? And then uh, we came up with uh, pretty smart ways of measuring how precise it is and so on. And we, of course, had the um, idea that the more precise the system will get, uh, the better it will do all sorts of jobs. 
Um, interestingly, what we have forgotten is that our magic key with the traditional approach was brute force. Yeah? So getting better means being even more brute force than the version before. Um, and interestingly, we have achieved or we have arrived at a level today where in principle we could generate any required precision. The only problem is that at some point um, a certain, let's say, higher precision would take 360,000 years to be computed. I mean, assuming that you have access to endless uh, Amazon GPU-powered uh, clusters of machines. Yeah? Um, and the finding was, okay, all of that is not in fact about precision, but it's about efficiency. Because only if I'm really efficient, I can sort of scale to whatever precision I want. Uh, and in, in, if you look at this in even more detail, you will find out that the whole of evolution is in fact about efficiency. Because if you are efficient, you get more food for less effort, sort of, with, which increases your chances of surviving uh, the next winter, okay? And that was a, a very fundamental um, sort of uh, finding for me that was not expected at all in, in when this all began. Um, and today I, I see that in the wild, which is the business world, of course, um, that actually turned out to become more than true because most of the of, of, of projects that are started by even large corporations and so to, um, for example, automate uh, some processes that they have that depend on understanding the content of an email or uh, figuring out what a note to a document means and making different kinds of decisions. If you want to solve this in, in the real world, uh, you will find that it's all about how efficiently can you do this. Because if in the end, every automatically processed documents costs you $12,533, uh, a lot of potential customers will say, okay, I mean, it would be nice to have this, but that just doesn't make sense uh, commercially. And so it's, it's, it's an unexpected pressure that comes up, I think, um, in, 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 in the midst of this hype that, yes, we can model everything, we can uh, use machine learning to solve every problem. Yes, we, it looks as if we can. But the limiting factor is not what we thought would be the precision of whatever ever algorithm we use, but it will be uh, the efficiency. Yeah? And that's, yeah, that's where we are today. <laughs> what are the benefits to using a neuroscience-based approach in natural language processing? Yeah, so it's, in the end, it is, it's much more efficient. <laughs> so uh, if you do statistics, um, and you have a system that you want to describe uh, by statistical means, and that system has a lot of situations where it doesn't behave linearly. It doesn't behave like the interpolation between two states, but it happens to have some extra special case. Yeah? And if it has a lot of special cases, then you have endless effort in sort of saying, okay, in principle, this system works like this, except for this situation or for that situation or for that situation. And then it might take you uh, 20 years uh, to come up with all the possible situations. Uh, just take driving. Yeah? I mean, if, if the task would be to drive a car on a half-empty highway, uh, we would have self-driving cars already 10 years ago. Yeah? 
the problem is that in the real world, um, there are so many special cases um, that it's very hard for a mathematical system that tries to work with a lot of data and the average of these data um, uh, to find the right decision. Our brain is, is wired in a very different way. It only learns on special experiences. So uh, the normal driving situation is as a, a specific uh, sort of situation that your brain learns, as well as this very exception when the deer was crossing uh, the street. Uh, and each of them is using, let's say, one memory slot. And once you have had, uh, I don't know, thousand uh, memory slots done, you already have a pretty realistic pattern of normal and not so normal situations. Um, and so you don't, you, you only need a, a fraction of training data that you would need if you would do a sort of under quotes, dumb brute force approach where you just say, I throw in as much data as I can. And by statistics, there will be enough uh, special cases. Francisco Weber, founder and CEO of Cortical IO. If somebody wants to connect with you, Francisco, what's the best way they can do that? Best thing is over LinkedIn. I uh, have a, an account that makes success easy. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thanks for, for everything that you're doing and uh, thanks for joining us. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.